0: Today on Good Health Radio we welcome Paul Newham. Now Paul is working for the United Nations. He has been one of 60 people only in the whole world chosen as a food systems champion. Welcome Paul. Thank you. Great to be with you. Yeah, no, so great to have you. So first off, before I start, you're a very humble person. So I just want to acknowledge the amazing work that you've done basically your whole life. You've traveled around the world with your beautiful wife, Karen, and your four fabulous children, working tirelessly for humanity in many different ways. I've even seen photos of you and a video of you on Facebook saving someone in a river in England. So just putting it out there to people, Paul won't acknowledge this, but I'm acknowledging it in advance. So today, what's brought you here, and thank you for joining us, is my fascination with what you're doing as a food systems champion. Now, first off, can you explain what that means to us?
1: Yeah, so um, thanks, Kylie, and um, you've done your research. Um, <laughs> and that's great. Um, so the Food System Champions, so Food System Champions have just been announced as part of uh, the UN Secretary General's Food system Summit, which he's called. So the Secretary General, uh, Antonio Gutierrez, has called for a high-level f- summit in 2021 on food systems. And this summit is designed to accelerate change around the Sustainable Development Goals, uh, which is essentially a set of 17 goals that all world leaders, including the the Australian uh, government, signed on to in 2015 to address 17 of the biggest challenges we face. And so food systems are being brought into this summit because food systems touch so many different areas of our world from education through to gender, through to climate, through to nutrition and health. You know, we see food have impacts everywhere. And so as part of this summit, uh, what the Secretary General has done has appointed a team to run that summit. And there's a number of structures that are built around this because these kinds of summits bring in people from government, from civil society, from the private sector to try and work together to accelerate change and so one of the ways they're doing that is they've brought together a set of champions to work um, with different communities around the world um, to help bring them into the conversation and so one of the things they're, they're they're really keen for this summit is to be a people summit which brings lots of people's ideas and thoughts together and so The the hope is that in the coming year, between now and when the summit's held at towards the end of 2021, is that there's lots and lots of conversations, dialogues happening at country level, at local level, about what the food system should be and how we can bring about changes in that. And so the role that I've been uh, asked to do is to, to help support that process And to help bring together some of the communities that i work with
0: okay so that's a massive role all those different parts put together so what i'm thinking is i'm thinking about me as a mum who's been through COVID in Victoria and I know one of the goals is about hunger, ending hunger. So in terms of compassion, I get that there's hunger. You see those photos, those pictures of the kids that are malnourished and not eating properly. And how do we help or make an impact on that? How do we support you in this?
1: Yeah, Look, it's a good question. Um, one of the biggest challenges in the world is obviously um, inequality, and there's there's real differences depending on where you're born. It's a, it's a little bit of a lottery of life. Uh, one of my previous um, bosses, Tim Costello, used to always say it's kind of like the global lottery, where you the one thing that unites us all is we don't have control over where we're born, um, and depending on where you're born, will depend on what access you have. And what um, situation and so the reality is that in the world though everything's connected and so no matter whether you live in Victoria or you live in um, Indonesia or you live in um, Nigeria or you're in Brazil there's certain things that are connected and and part of that is we've seen is that around the world access to uh, accessibility to food so the ability to be able to get good good food um, and information about that food very much is something that's not consistent. Also, in that there's also affordability issues, and so sometimes you can get access, but there's not it's not as affordable. And then um, you know there's also availability issues, and we've definitely seen that during COVID, where certain items, because of the you know challenges in the system, have have been harder to get hold of. So you have this system which is kind of functioning globally um, around food. The challenge is that in the way that we've kind of looked at trying to feed people in the past is we've tried to bring down the price of certain things. And that's meant that we've used less and less food, less and less variety in our food. And so um, we've kind of seen this shift. And so there's a couple of interesting stats which I think help to kind of demonstrate this. At the moment, out of the 30,000 uh, types of edible food in the world, our, our diets are made up of mainly 60% of all the calories that we get come from four crops. <gasps> um, so there's four things um, that basically is making up 60% of our diet. And so you go to the supermarket and you think, oh, there's huge variety here. But if you actually look at the ingredients, sixty percent of the overall calories that the world's eating and getting access to is coming from four things. So that's you know the the rice, um, corn, uh, potatoes, and I always go blank: uh, rice, corn, and wheat. And and so you've got this kind of real imbalance in our variety. And part of that's been through helping to try and address hunger because we've done a lot of research into bringing. You know, the productivity of those crops up. So we basically can grow them more efficiently, which means then we can get greater volume, which means we can bring the price down. And everyone kind of complains about how much food costs. Well, these are the things that happen to try and move that. The challenge is that sometimes that then affects the value that we're getting. And when we talk about value, I'm talking about the nutritional value that you're getting. So as a mum, you're, you're looking at how do your kids? Um, get the right nutrients so that they can grow and be healthy and strong. It's not just what they enjoy eating, which is really important, but it's also when you think about what's good food, you think about it being nutritious. You think about where it comes from. You think about all these kinds of things. And so, you know, one of the challenges in that is variety. And so, you know, there's 30,000 edible crops, at the moment, our, the basic diet around the world only really plays with about 150 of those crops, and 60% of our calorie intake is made up by four. So that means automatically we're having impacts on biodiversity. And and so even just as a mum, one of the choices you can make is how do I think about the varieties I'm buying? where What kind of diversity is on the plate? you know, What kind of variety of different things? Because what that does is it has an impact then on demand. That demand then means that our agricultural system grows different things. And that is always good for climate. It's good for people. Um, it, it has better impact. So we've done a lot of work with um, chefs in different parts of the world. And one of the things we've done is look at substitution. And so you look at different, different crops. And for example, in India, we're working with a number of chefs. And rice is obviously a big thing in India. and And, and there's nothing wrong with rice there's lots of different varieties of rice but you know just going for certain white rice doesn't necessarily have the same nutritional makeup as other rices but then there's also other crops out there you know india's facing water problems at the moment and like cities like new delhi have have had water shortages but there's crops out there that used to be eaten like millet for example and millets uh, use one fifth of the water of rice to grow wow and they they used to be seen as poor people's food, and now they've become trendy. I see them in hipster cafes all over the world. <laughs> um, but you know, millets got high, a better nutrient makeup on the whole. There's all different types of millets. It uses far less water to grow. So you kind of look at what we're eating. And so I think the first thing to think about is what 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 are we eating, and what are the choices we make. And no matter where you are, whether you're in, in Victoria and in, in you're a mum or you're uh, living in other parts of the world, you can make choices about what you um, eat and what choices you make and how you do that. The other thing that I would say is, you know, um, we have to think a lot more about our food. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the COVID response, uh, the COVID-19 um, crisis has really made some of the things that were invisible, visible. So you know, I, I for one, have never really had to line up for things. You know, I've been was born into Mel- in Melbourne and been very lucky, and so I'm used to. If I want to get something, I've got to go to the supermarket. Now sometimes it's more, too expensive to get, or you have to make choices, and there's there's issues there. But generally, it's available. But you know, for the first time, we started to see things. You know, I know I was living in London at the time. Flour, for example. Mm. There was never any flour in the supermarkets. There was no um, pasta. You know, there was lots of things that disappeared. And all of a sudden, then you start to think, well, why? And where does that food actually come from? And, and, and you know, there were stories coming out of farmers, you know, migrant workers who normally do the picking of, of fruits and vegetables not being able to get to a country because the borders being closed. There was issues, you know, in Africa, there was a big locust plague. And normally that could be dealt with in certain ways quite fast, but there were issues with people getting, you know, there was helicopters that were needed from South Africa to get to Kenya, which could normally be done in two days, was taking two or three weeks because they had to stop and quarantine at, at every point. Wow. You know, so there's these kind of interconnected things in our food system, which Often we don't think about, and so I think part of it is, is getting people to think about it. Yeah. And so it's about getting getting kids to think about it. It's getting um, adults to think about it. Where does our food come from, and what are the choices we're making? You know, and a lot of people will go then and say, "Well, we should just you know choose local." You know, if you just choose local, it's better. And 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 the reality is that it often that can be the case, but it's not always the case. Um, some some climates are better at growing certain things, and other climates are better at growing other things but the more that you understand and think about food you you connect with farmers you understand a little bit more about what's going on behind the scenes the more you can then make informed choices and the more you can educate other people but there's there's so much in this topic um so i might pause there (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay. I've got questions because one of the things yeah. you mentioned was chefs. And on the website, there is a mention of a chef's manifesto. Now, can you talk a bit more about that, please?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the um, one of the things that we did when we set up the SDG2 Advocacy Hub was um, essentially we were looking at how do we – bring more coordinated action around food, agriculture and nutrition advocacy globally. And uh, we, we, we realize that often in these forums, there's people, the same people are talking to the same people. You know, there's people that have spent a lot of their career working and they're experts in the space. And so they're working with each other, trying to drive action. But in order to do that, you also need to bring, on, bring along politicians and you need to bring along decision makers in, in companies and others. And they, they listen to a range of different voices, but they also listen very much in recent times to what the public discourse is, what's getting in the newspaper, what's, what are people talking about, where are the trends, what's going on there. And so one of the things that we uh, were very aware of is that we needed to bring new champions into the mix. And so we looked at who was out there, and what we found was one group. You know, in our lives, we 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 think about food most of the day. Like most of the time, people are kind of going, "Oh, I'm getting a bit hungry. What am I going to eat?" When we when we gather at at you know family holidays, we gather often and we eat together. When we, you know, people from religious backgrounds, they get together and a lot of the time it's around food. So, you know, whether it's, it's food plays a central role. And the, there's a, you know, a lot of conversation on our TV screens, on our social media, that's driven by people talking about food. And a lot of the people doing that are chefs. And why chefs? Because I believe chefs connect the farm, the ingredients, to uh, the fork, to the plate. And so what you see is chefs are this connecting voice and they're incredibly well-trusted. So, you know, if a chef says, eat this and it looks good, you'll eat it. And, and, and that's a really trusting, mm. you know, act because you kind of, you know, you don't know what they've done. For you. you don't know <laughs> where they've got it from, but you trust them and you trust them to know about food and to be able to help us to um, eat, uh, you know, well. And so people are quite fascinated. And so there's lots of chefs out there that are doing a lot on sustainability. Um, And so we kind of started to talk to them. And as we started to talk to them, we realized, you know, there's lots of people working on different issues, um, but they're working in their own kind of space, you know. So it might be on food waste or on biodiversity or on nutrition or on school lunches or there's all these different campaigns. But what we found was uh, how do we connect them globally into a larger conversation? so that they can learn from each other across borders. And so we gathered chefs from 35 countries um, to basically co-write, based on the Sustainable Development Goals, this plan that was made for uh, all the countries in the world to, to, to lead the development. We looked at that plan and said, what can chefs contribute to? And then we developed with those chefs an action plan and a network. And so that's been going just over two years now and it's grown to chefs now in 80 countries around the world wow. that that are all driving efforts in their kitchen um, locally. They're doing things at the grassroots level, but they're also using their voice to advocate through their platforms. And we've got chefs there that are students. We've got chefs there that are 50-year veterans. We've got chefs there that have, you know, Platforms with hundreds of millions of people that they speak to every year, and then we've got chefs who have just started in this space, and they're they're, they're really fresh. They do with each They learn um, tips and ideas on how they can different ingredients, but also how they can improve their advocacy. And we we work with them to give them tools to elevate their voices, to really talk about how we can make. Good food for all possible around the world.
0: That's fantastic. So, I know a few chefs too, and I'm not sure if there's any of them out listening, but if they want to get involved, is that an opportunity there for them?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, if you go to chefsmanifesto.com, it's um, essentially open to any chef. And because it's an action plan, that's kind of, we created something that gathers the things that are already happening. So chefs hopefully will look at this and see some things they're doing, but they'll also hopefully be inspired to do some other things. And so, you know, we've got all kinds of chefs. Um, You can be as involved as you want. You can kind of stand on the edges and watch for, you know, and learn. Or you can kind of say, I really want to get involved. And, you know, we've got chefs coming up even this week. So on the 16th is World Food Day. And we've got chefs speaking on different panels all around the world. We've had chefs cooking for presidents. We've had chefs speaking at the UN. And so, you know, it's a great platform. We have a podcast for chefs um, called the Chefs Manifesto Podcast, which has got a couple of seasons. It's all on that website. But, you know, it's chefs talking to chefs and talking about what they're doing around the world, coming up with ideas and ways they can get engaged. So it's, it's, a, it's a cool platform from that perspective.
0: Yeah, that sounds amazing. It sounds so exciting to be a chef and to be able to contribute in that way. That sounds like a massive way of really making a difference. Something else that really stuck out to me when looking on your website was that, You're focusing on um, improving productivity, but mainly through small-scale producers, women and Indigenous peoples. Is that something you're looking at within Australia for the Indigenous community?
1: Um, So at this point, we've been looking at that at a global level. And obviously, when we look at a global level, Australia is a part of that. Um, And we work with platforms that definitely are working with Indigenous communities. But we, as an advocacy hub, what we try and do is coordinate the advocacy. So we're working with partners that are actually doing the work on the ground. We can't do all of that. So we would work with partners and gather them and then look at what are they doing. So this Friday or tomorrow it is, um, we're we're participating in a a, a global event that's happening. It's a 24-hour relay conversation. Um, called voices of the food system and and this is just an example where we're bringing together I'm kind of helping curate the first three hours of it it starts in the Pacific with the president of CG and then it goes across and we've got numbers of heads of state we've got different people but for the hour that we're doing in Australia we've got people that are working you know in different ways we've got people working in East Timor with indigenous communities there we've got people working um, with technology in India, we've got people working in Adelaide on climate-friendly food. We've got people working with Victoria, like there's Sandro DeMeo, that CEO of Vic Health, who's working on, you know, plant-based food and, and then also a whole range of other health promotion in Victoria. You know, so we kind of gather these voices and get them to dialogue with each other and then try and amplify and lift that, that up to um, ensure that those voices are being heard by the decision makers. And so that's kind of some of the the approach that we bring to that.
0: That's phenomenal. You have a big job. My goodness. So looking at sustainable. So we're talking about sustainable. We're talking about keeping it going for the future because the aim is for 2030 for us to be free of hunger as a world. Is that correct?
1: Yes. So that's the plan, um, and that <laughs> sounds the massive. Yes, it sounds <laughs> it's, huge. It's, a, it's, re- it's really, really a, a big ambition, um, and to be honest, we're we're not on track at the moment. So the challenge is, and COVID's made that harder. Mm. Um, so there's still, you know, the, the the challenge with the system the the system is at the moment is that we still have um, over 660 million people around the world not getting enough food to eat. And at the same time, we have over 2 billion that are suffering from being overweight and obesity. And so the number, you know, we're seeing um, hunger numbers shift and they have kind of gone down, but they've gone back up again this year because of COVID. Um, But the challenge is at the same time, we're seeing a huge rise in obesity and overweight. And so you're kind of seeing that sometimes, you know, when people are getting food, They're getting the wrong food. And this comes back to that inequality and, you know, not looking at nutrition in the way that we need to.
0: Wow, that spun me out. Can you just give me those figures again, please? So how many were not getting enough food?
1: So there's 660 million people around the world that are just not getting enough food. So they're hungry in some way, 690 million. And then, so it's about nine, just under 9% of the world's population. Then you've got in that number, there's also 2 billion people in the world that don't have, you know, regular access to safe, nutritious and sufficient food in 2019. So all the stats are from last year because yep. you you always look at statistics after they've happened rather than, we can't talk about 2020 yet, but yep. the predictions are, that, you know, the number's going to go up um, if it, because of COVID, because there's a lot of, you know, people losing work and all kinds of things like that. Um, but, you know, some of the more, you know, challenging statistics in that is that, you know, 144 million children under five are affected by stunting. And stunting means that they're never going to, you know, if you don't get the right nutrients when you're young as a baby, it means you're never going to reach your full potential because you just can't, you lose the ability you know, and it stunts your growth, yep. and so those kinds of things basically set up people um, to struggle, and that's because of um, you know nutrition issues. So there's a lot of areas of complexity in this um, yeah. that we kind of have to try and message and think about. I mean, what we're doing now is really using the the message of good food for all, and really looking at the idea of equity. And, and, and talking about the fact that, you know, we need to all have a conversation around well, what, what is good food. It, it's it's, it's, it's got to taste good. It's got to be good for the farmer. It's got to be nutritious. But it's also got to think about the ways that it supports the economy. It supports progress. It enables people to be their best. Um, you know, so you can't, if you don't have the right food, then you, you might be going to school, but you can't learn because you can't concentrate. You know, so there's these connections that happen where food as a system, if you think about it, is an enabler for development and sustainability.
0: So complex because then on the other hand, you talked about obesity and I know that can be a mental thing and an emotional thing. But if you look at it on the world scale, like one end, we can't feed the people, the other end, we're having too much food. That's huge. Yeah.
1: yeah, it is huge. And I mean, it's, it's sometimes not... So it's a, it's, it's a problem not only of too much food, it can also be the wrong food.
0: Mm.
1: So, you know, one of the problems is if you're not getting nutrients. And so food is not all created equal. And so, you know, um, we all need basic calories, which is energy, to survive. But then we need nutrients to thrive. and And, and some of our food... Gives us the calories, which gives us the energy, um, and too much of that, obviously, you know, then has an impact. But it's also about getting the right nutrients, and there's all different ways micronutrients that we need for our bodies to function well. And so it's 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 looking at that as well. So in some parts of the world, there's lots of places where they would say. You know, there's real food deserts. And so there can be no access to, you know, there's just available, you know, very high salt, high sugar foods um, with very high calories and very low nutrients. And other parts, you know, nutritious food is actually very expensive. um, So it's not affordable for people. And when you've got, you know, choices and you're trying to feed your kids, I've talked to parents in, in a city and they're trying to feed their kids and they're going, well, I could buy a broccoli but if my kid doesn't eat it, I've wasted, you know, a big chunk of my salary on that. Whereas if I buy them just basic pasta or a bread or something that they like, then I know they're going to be they're going to have eaten and they're full. And there's this tension, and 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 it's and it's very hard to make value judgments on on those choices when. Um, People are, are, one, don't always have all the information. And they're, two, they're, they're trying to do um, the best they can with what is the system and the, and what's in front of them and the, what they've been educated with.
0: That's so true. There's so many complexities and there's so many stresses involved in everyday decision-making with that sort of thing. You have a huge job. I'm so honoured that you've spent time with me today talking about all this. I just I'm just wondering, what keeps you going? How do you stay motivated?
1: Look, I mean, I, it's, 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 a, it's a real, you know, at times you do get quite tired um, because you do sort of sit there and, you know, there can be times where this is really challenging because you, you put in all the energy and the work and sometimes it feels like things aren't moving in the right direction or you have, you know, things like COVID have just impacted so many people. You know, chefs, restaurants are all shut around the world. Um, farmers have had all kinds of impacts um, due to, to so many changes. So, you know, for me, motivation is I, I just have this firm belief that we can do, you know, we, we have to get up and make the world a better place each day and that the reason we're kind of, you know, here is to do that. And so, you know, from that perspective, uh, you know, I believe that our, our role is to try and help Contribute and to give back and to make the world better than we when we arrived on it. And so, being also born into a place where I've had great education, I've had opportunities. Um, I feel it's my responsibility to use that in a in a, in a way to, I don't know, do do what I can. And so, the more I've seen, the more you kind of want to do as well. You know, the more you. Um, learn about it the more you want to solve the problem you want to try and work through the 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 points where you know people get stuck and and try and find ways to get forward to, to get forward momentum
0: you are an amazing human being thank you for your brain thank you for your heart my god and everything you shared today it's still a little bit over my head but i'm trying to get to grips with everything it's just really an honor that you've spent time with us in Australia today and good luck with everything you're doing it sounds amazing thank you so much Paul
1: no thank you I really appreciate it thanks for having me
0: no worries you are on good health radio we've just spoke to the amazing Paul Newnham about all things sustainable helping to stop world hunger by 2030 we will be back after this break